Well, good morning. Well, I'm excited to be here. I hope you are. I am almost excited about Christmas. I'm working on that. How about you? Closer it gets, more Paul sings, more Kent sings, the more excited I get about Christmas. Uh, I want to take a kind of a different approach this year as we look at Christmas. Uh, uh, more often than not, every year we tell the Christmas story, and you'll hear that along the way as we worship together over the next month. But I want you instead to think about some of the elements of Christmas that uh, you may have never considered before. Some of the, some of the things that happen as a result of, uh, of what Jesus did at coming to the world as a baby, some of the things that uh, we're taught uh, by the message of incarnation. And, and the title of this series is, called, is Christmas is Forgiving. Forgiving. Uh, for some of you, it's forgetting. And, you know, maybe if you're over 32, you give more than you get. I'm not sure where that demarcation line starts. But uh, uh, we're going to talk about things that we can give. And we're going to start with this really, really clever play on words. And so when you see the title of the message, I want you to think to yourself, that's really clever. Will you do that? Uh, the title of the series is Christmas is for giving. And today's message is Christmas is forgiving. Anybody say that's clever? Thank you. You got where we're going? All right. And I want you to think about this. At, at, at its very heart, Christmas uh, gets to the idea that somebody gave us something that we don't deserve. Would you say amen to that? Amen. You agree? Uh, how often has that happened in your life? Somebody has, ha, has come to you and offered you something. Uh, you didn't deserve it. You weren't worthy of it. And at the very heart of that notion is forgiveness. Someone forgave you when you didn't deserve it. Now, we understand that, that God never really wanted to have to have this drastic plan of redemption. He created Adam and Eve in the garden, made everything perfect, hoped that they would live out the, and their ancestors or, or, or their descendants would, would... Adam and Eve don't have any ancestors. Don't write that down, please. <laughs> I don't want to get cards and letters later, all right? Their descendants would live in faith, but by the time of Noah, what had happened? Story had come to an end, didn't it? Noah was the only just man, he and his family. And once again, after destroying the world, God hoped that the descendants of Noah would live in faith. But by the time we got to Bethlehem, by the time Jesus came into the world, there had to be something drastic done. Everything that God had tried to offer redemption and forgiveness, everything that God had tried to change the world would work for a while and then there would be those who'd come and, and move away from the faith. That was the story of the Hebrew nation. Sometimes in faith, but more often than not in rebellion. And the rebellion had been so great, uh, the ruling class so evil, there was only one thing left to do. God had to come up with a brand new plan of salvation, a brand new plan of redemption, 
and a brand new plan of forgiveness. And Jesus' coming is the essence of forgiveness, isn't it? Would you agree? Because I'm going to keep saying it till you do. It's the essence of forgiveness. And, and, and just think how much God had to love us to want to forgive us in that fashion. Just think about that. That he was willing to take such drastic action. It could not have been easy for him to be separated from his son. It could not have been easy for him to realize what this plan would take. And we know that it ended. What began in Bethlehem ended at Calvary. Didn't stay ended, but it ended at Calvary. So what I want to suggest to you today is maybe the greatest lesson we can learn from what God did in Christmas. Maybe the greatest lesson that we can learn is that gift that we should give this year is forgiveness. It reeks of Christmas, doesn't it? I mean, when you walk back into uh, our, our atrium, you come into the church, it reeks of Christmas there, doesn't it? I mean, reeks a good word. I just want to say that. Don't write that down either. I mean, you just get the spirit. You get the feeling. It's beautiful. You look up here, man, I'm the only thing that doesn't match. Right? Well, you know... I beg for amens on good stuff. Talk bad about me and everybody jumps in. And being able in our lives, in our relationships, to do what God did at Christmas. He doesn't say that on the first Christmas night. The angels aren't in the heavens singing this particular line on that first Christmas night. Mary and Joseph aren't looking at one another and saying, here's this baby, he's, he, he's the author of forgiveness, but everyone who knows the story from the beginning to the end has a realization that Christmas is all about God redeeming us and forgiving us. Now, I don't know about your life today, But I dare say there are people in each of your lives who've harmed you, who have made life tough for you, and and there is some alienation, there's some woundedness and some brokenness, and, 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 and there's some difficulty in your relationships, and so maybe the message of Christmas, what God wants to penetrate your heart with, is what he did for you in Christ you need to do for someone else in the faith that God can bring restoration. Maybe the greatest gift you can give this year is the gift of forgiveness. Amen. Let's be honest. Because of various and sundry reasons, Christmas can be a tough time. This, this whole holiday season, can be a tough time, right? Amen? Maybe, maybe you're just here this morning and, and you would have liked to have given a couple $3,000 to the offering in, in celebration of the sermon today. 
but you realize if you gave two or three thousand dollars to the offering the bill keepers or the bill collectors would come see you i don't know how i mixed up beekeepers and bill collectors they'd come see you this week you know you you realize that it's going to be a financial struggle for you this christmas kind of weighs you down uh maybe there's been a death in your family i uh it's no secret that we've been kind of going through that at our house and i I thought about uh whether to come to church or not today and i decided if i didn't come to church i would probably get a memo from heaven uh from my mother and father who've gotten their efforts back together in parenting me The two of them together, and I figure life's going to get a lot more disciplined for me. That was a little heartier amen than I wanted to hear, too, I have to say that. Maybe there's some conflict in your life. Uh, I don't know what it is. But instead of anticipating with joy what's about to happen... Your heart feels heavy, tough. Just because there'll be a chair empty or a person around the table that you'd rather slap than embrace. (laughs) Now, that's just how it is sometimes, isn't it? So many, many people just kind of hope to survive the season. Just survive. You know, when, when, when you're a kid, you, you've got the calendar and you're marking off the days till Santa Claus comes. You're marking the days off. You remember the, the just sheer joy of Christmas there? Wish we could recapture that sometimes. Amen. Because the truth of the story the, the, the meaning of the story is even a better news than that which we have anticipated from childhood. But sadly, there are some of you who are already in survival mode. Now, you know, we kind of named several reasons why we might be in that particular place. But the one that I want to kind of focus on today is just other people, you know, what effect they have on our Christmas season. Uh, I don't know how to say this any better, so I'm just going to say it this way. Uh, Every family has a psycho. Let's let's just, let's, let me see if my... Uh, belief is true if the data has come in correctly if you have a psycho in your family let's see your hand I want you to keep them up keep them up because those people who don't have their hands up are the psychos right? <laughs> you remember the family of Jacob in the Bible Jacob had 12 sons. Now, when you have 12, there's got to be a bad egg in the bunch somewhere, right? 
There's got to be one that just doesn't fit with the flow, one that everybody else wants to get rid of. Remember Joseph? I, I, you know, I don't know what they did then. I guess they, they, they probably had some kind of holiday, and I bet you Joseph got that coat of many colors for whatever that holiday was. I was going to say Christmas. Christmas hadn't happened then. So with the Passover, I realized that Joseph called the, caused the Passover by going to Egypt. So I don't know what the holiday was. Ken, do you know? <laughs> Turn to my one and only Bible scholar. Lee, do you know? Well, okay, let's just go with a holiday. Joseph got this for a holiday. And he wears this coat around. He's got the only multicolored coat in the, in the family. And when Joseph wore the coat around, he didn't just wear the coat. He strutted. My coat's better than yours. You ever notice people that kind of have some really snappy clothes on on Sunday morning, they come in, they're looking at you, you know, like, way to go, big lot shopper, yeah. Well, that's how Joseph was. That's how he was. And so finally his brothers decided, you know, life would be a lot better around the table if this dude were relocated. And they thought about killing him. Now, I've had some, you know, we got psychos in our family. I wanted to kill any of them, just kind of move them away. And that's exactly what they did with Joseph. They moved him away, placed him in a pit, sold him to some gypsies, and the gypsies took him to Egypt, and he started as a slave got himself in jail. I mean, I think he kept strutting and wearing the coat, from what it sounds like, when he was in Egypt. But somehow or another, in the midst of all that, God was working on his heart. God was, God was changing him. That's good news for your family, isn't it? That God can change that one person. Amen. Maybe it's even better news that he can change you. Amen. And finally, Joseph rises to a place of power and position where he's second to Pharaoh in Egypt. And, and there's this great famine in the land, and Joseph is the keeper of the grain. He's the keeper of the food. And, and his brothers travel uh, from Israel to, to Egypt, and he notices, notices them in the crowd, and they don't notice him. And so he sends the crowd away, and he asks for them to remain, and he begins to tell them about who he is and how he wants to bless them. It is a story of forgiveness. I want you to read, or I want you to listen to me as I read in, in Genesis 45, kind of the apex of this story, and I want you just to, to imagine that scene, this guy who suffered so much as a result of what his brothers had done to him, who, who, who'd left him a cocky young man and is now in a position to save their lives as he sees them again. And Joseph, no longer in Genesis 45, 1, could restrain himself before all of those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. Can you imagine, who's our vice president? Biden. Biden. Can you imagine him just standing, weeping aloud? This is the guy who's, he's got the, 
he's, in, he's got to control the power. And he's in this room, and he's weeping, crying, because of this rift between he and his family. And everybody heard about it. You ever start crying in public, guys? There'll be a memo that's sent out to everybody. You know that? Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. You see, I'm not sure about what is, has caused you to go into survival mode for Christmas. I don't think it could be any more drastic than that story, do you? And what the Bible teaches us over and over again from beginning to the end, that God is in the business of restoration, and if we want to look like God, if we want to look like Jesus at Christmas, we have to learn the art of forgiveness. Here's the truth about this matter. Those who are the closest to you hurt you the most, disappoint you the most, break your heart the most. Why is that? When you're invested in someone, when, when you love someone, when, when, when you, 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 you're praying for someone, when they have your heart, you open yourself up for hurt. So what do we do? How, how, do, how do you live out this concept of, of forgiving someone who's a jerk, someone who's a psycho? I, I mean, how do you get to that place where... Where, where you can get past the burden of, of hurt and pain and struggle and offer restoration. Well, I'm going to give you three steps. When, when you're hurt or betrayed, you can choose to pray. There is a really, really, really freeing step that you can take. Uh, lots of times when somebody does something to me, somebody hurts me, I either internalize it or I externalize it. When I say that, I mean I start to tell people. You know, for instance, you know, Randy's down here, I'll talk about him. But you know what Randy did to me? You know, what a jerk. Join me in hating him, please. Right? You ever do that? Come on. Come on, guys, shake your head. You ever do that? Here's what Randy did. But the Bible says, and here, here's what needs to happen. You need to tell God on him. You need to tell God about the psycho that's coming to your Christmas party. Maybe God will tranquilize them before they get there. Tell God on him. And when you tell God on somebody, what are you doing? You're praying. You're praying. And I want you to pray a very specific prayer that will move you to a place of dread, to a place of optimism, that will move you from a place of pain to a place of peace, from a place of hurtful, hard feelings 
to a place of restoration. Choose to pray. Not for yourself, but for them. Here's the first prayer you pray. God, would you heal their hurt? God, would you heal their hurt? If you look back in the history of people who are hurtful, what do you often find? Hurt. You ever notice that? Maybe as you sit here this morning and you're not looking at it as who can I forgive, you're thinking maybe I've been that person. Maybe I've been that person that is hurting other people. I'll bet if we ask you your story, there'd be a starting place of pain and hurt. Practically everyone who, who, if we want to use the word dysfunctional at the very least, who are distractional, who are trouble inside a family or inside a group, have been hurt, have been wounded, have been broken, probably living far from God or pretending to live close, but in reality living far, where many of us are, right? So you pray, God, heal their hurt. What a strange notion. What do I usually pray when somebody makes me get mad? God, pile it on. Hammer them. Put them in a belt, the whale of a belt, uh, the belly of a whale. You know, whatever, God, you got some good tricks. Just put it on them right now. You ever do that? Come on. Rain fire on their household. Instead, and this is hard, because when you hear the name, you cringe, pray for their healing. Ask God to forgive them. Ask God to forgive them. I want to read this passage of Scripture to you. But I say to you, it's in Luke 6, love your enemies. Huh. Let me say that again. Love your enemies. I have to pray for the Pittsburgh Steelers today. <laughs> well, that is going to be tough. I'm not going to pray that they win. I'm going to pray that they enjoy their vi- defeat. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Oh, my. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. You know a user? Do you have a teenager? By whom will I comfort you? You know, there are a lot of verses in the Bible that are hard to live out. These two are near impossible. Because it's counterculture to everything that we feel, that we are told by the world. Pray that God will forgive them. 
The next one, this is a tough one. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that he'll bless them. God, give them better than me. Let their lives be better than mine. Can you pray that kind of prayer? I want you to think of the person who's most disturbing, who's been most hurtful, who who has caused you to be hard-hearted. God, not only do I want you to love them and forgive them, I want you to bless them. I want them to flourish. I want them to get rich. And after we've reconciled, maybe they'll take good care of me, right? Now, you're sitting here thinking, this is a good idea, and it's a very good option. It's a very good option for me this year, right? Nod your head. This is a good option, because there is somebody who sort of gets under my skin. There are some things that sort of get under my skin that they do, and I realize that there's some real power in just kind of letting it go and giving it to God and praying for them and asking him to love them and forgive them and even to bless them. That is a great, great option. And, you know, I'm going to consider it. And I might go on the five-year plan. Life's short, guys, isn't it? Life's short. In fact, it's so short, I don't think any of us should live a day in conflict. I don't think any of us should live a day in, in, in a place where we have hard feelings and hurt feelings and broken feelings about relationships. The fact of the matter, it's not an option. It's an immediate action plan. Forgiveness is a required course in Christianity. That's a tough lesson for the disciples to learn. They were a lot like us. I imagine if you got 12 men together and you had to go everywhere with Jesus, and some of them seemed to get preferential treatment, and, and others of them had skills and gifts that some didn't have. Can't you imagine there was a lot of jealousy and hurt and, and backbiting and fighting and who gets the best here? In fact, James and John said, Jesus, we know you're a little bit closer to us than you are the others. We get to heaven, give me the right-hand seat, and I'll take the left. They had their mother come and ask that question. What wimps? I mean, so Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and, and he reads them, or he tells them. It wasn't a verse then. I'm going to read the verse. He made the verse. He said this to them. Lord, or, or Peter's talking. How often, how often shall I forgive my brother who sinned against me? in Matthew 28. How many times can somebody do me wrong and I got to forgive him? How many times? Up to seven? Dude, the people I know need a lot more than seven, right? I mean, in our workplace, we shoot through seven a day. Seven times? You ever stood in need of forgiveness? You ever hurt somebody with what you said or did? That's when you start to pray.
for unlimited forgiveness and unmerited grace, isn't it? And Jesus said to you, said to him, he says to us too, Peter, not, not seven times. I want you to do the math and see what it adds up to. It adds up to this every time. Every time. Every single time. Another place in Scripture it says this. Would you like God to forgive you in the, fa- in the fashion that you forgive other people? What if God would have halted the Christmas story right when we needed redemption? What if God would have determined that Jesus really didn't have to come and he really didn't have to die because he didn't want to forgive us anymore? Where would you be? You see, forgiveness is a required course in Christianity because what we're learning to do as Christ followers is to mirror the image of God. God's fitting us for heaven. God's developing us to have his heart. And his heart is always this. I'm going to err on the side of grace. I'm going to forgive when folks don't even know how much they need it. I'm going to love unconditionally. When you find it difficult to focus on forgiveness, when you say, when you want to say, you don't know what this guy did to me, you don't know what this lady said about me. You don't know how, how, how difficult it has been to, to maintain a relationship with my rebellious child. You don't know how nasty and, and, and snarmy, swarmy, whatever that word is, my cousin is. You don't know how arrogant my mother is. Or is it mother-in-law? You see, <laughs> could you imagine that God is, is sitting on the throne in heaven and he's, he's looking at Jesus and he says, you don't know how rotten you are, or you are. Put your name there. Let's just use me. I know that's a stretch. God says, Son, he is really exhausting me. Todd's really exhausting me, isn't he? He's breaking my heart. He's trouble. Think we've done about enough for him? You think he's kind of moved past the point of grace? That's the conversation that ought to take place about all of us, isn't it? Amen? If you think you're better than that, don't say amen because you're not. That's what God's saying about all of us. If I had a chart over here of stupid things I've done this year, you'd know why they had that conversation. I do have some of your charts, and if you keep the amen and up, <laughs> put them on the screen. 
That's how much God's forgiven you. And you know what? He's going to need to forgive you again tomorrow and the next day. So how can we legitimately say, it's just an option? Because it's not. It's just not. Colossians 3, 13. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If any of you has a complaint, (laughs) I like how he said if. Have you ever known anyone that didn't have a single complaint? (laughs) Forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. Let me ask you a question. What's on the other side of forgiveness for you? How would your life look if you lived out these verses, these concepts that we've talked about? How would your relationships look? Let me tell you what I think is on the other side of forgiveness. It's also the essence of Christmas. I think it's peace. If you've got a running list of who you're mad at and you can't even remember sometimes who you shouldn't speak to, you don't live in peace. If you're dreading Christmas now, you don't live in peace. If you're not sure that all your relationships are as intact as they should be, if there are problems and issues there, you you don't live in peace. If, If you don't really know that Christmas is about forgiveness, it's about salvation, it's about redemption, it's about heaven. If you don't know that, if you're not sure where you're headed, if there's a doubt in your mind, you don't live in peace. Yeah, I don't want to belabor this because it's a tough thing for me to talk about, but Saturday morning at 1 when my mother quit breathing, I had absolute peace. Not for me, but for her. There's no doubt. If she didn't go to heaven, I don't know that Billy Graham will make it. (laughs) And you see, that's peace. And it can be yours. It can be yours. There's no one in this room who can't have that kind of assurance of their salvation and their eternity. And if you don't have that peace, what better time? If there's turmoil in your life that just constantly keeps you in an uproar what better time to find peace what what better time to take the steps you've got to take to forgive and to be forgiven it's what christmas is about pray with me
Father, in the quietness, stillness, in the peace of this moment, there are those of us today who need to come in decision-making, who need to determine that your Savior and Lord in our life, who, who need to come and say there's a, a, a broken relationship, there's a, a wounded place in my life, there's a hurt, there's a burden, there's an addiction, there's a sin, there's something I've got to get rid of, there's something I've got to find peace about. Father, there are others in this room who have a burden for someone else and they just need to come and lift that person to you. Pray for peace between themselves and that person or pray for peace in their life. Pray that, that, that prayer of, of mercy and blessing and forgiveness that we talk about. You see, all of us today, Father, need healing. We need help. We've been hurt. We need to draw close to you. And that's what can happen right now. Right now. We trust you with our deepest emotions. We trust you with our biggest hurts. Right now. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stay in. And I want to ask you, I want every person in this room, please, please respond to this invitation. I don't know what that means for you. It may mean that you need to come and bow at this altar. Pray for God's mercy. Pray for His strength. Pray for someone you need to forgive. Pray for your salvation. Maybe you trust Him for the first time. Maybe you come and and just remember what He's done in forgiveness by sharing in communion with your family or with a friend. But don't do nothing. Don't just do nothing. Do that. Because God brought you here for this moment. You know that? He brought you here to hear this message, to worship and praise Him through music for this moment where He touches you and He changes you. Don't.